Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, I'm Gemma Bath, filling in for Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Picture this. A child is born into a family and for the first two or three or ten years of their life, they have the undivided attention of their parents. It's all about them. Until perhaps it's not. Enter siblings. We all know what childhood rivalry can look like. So-and-so is hogging that toy, it's my turn. Their dessert is bigger than my serving, that's not fair. Why do they get to go out with their friends past 10pm but I wasn't when I was their age? Today we're exploring the complicated dynamic of sibling rivalry and how and why it can morph from childhood squabbling into teenage tantrums right through to adult competition. You broke my space fighter! Give it! You get it! What is going on here? He stole my pen! My favourite pen! Look at him holding it! Sound familiar? Perhaps this was more your style. Lisa, certain differences, rivalries, if you will, have come up between us. At first I thought we could talk it over like civilized people, but instead, I just ripped the head off Mr. Honey Bunny. According to observational studies noted in the New York Times last year, sibling conflict may happen up to eight times an hour, with early and middle childhood the peak time for sibling aggression. Pairs of sisters tend to be the closest, while sibling duos that include a brother tend to have the most conflict. Sibling rivalry is so profound, hundreds of years ago when child mortality rates were much higher, children under five with close-in-age siblings were more likely to die. That's because of more childhood infectious disease in those homes, lower levels of maternal nutrition and more general competition for parental attention. Of course, nowadays it's not so dire. Siblings are more likely to be fighting over toys or ice cream, silly little squabbles that turn into out-of-proportion fights. But what about once you and your sibling have grown up? According to a UK study completed as a promotional effort for the television show Succession, which depicts siblings competing in the most toxic ways imaginable, more than half of Brits still feel like they're in competition with their brothers and sisters as adults. 26% said they compete over career goals, while 22% cited home ownership as their main rivalry. 20% are still stuck on arguing over who is their parents' favourite. 
Nearly two in ten believe it's helped them achieve more in their lives. But it's not always a healthy dose of competition. A third of those who responded to the survey admitted they have stopped talking to a brother or sister for a period of time over a disagreement. Let's look at some famous examples. Actresses and sisters Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine spent their adult lives competing for men, acting gigs and the attention of their mother, with their rivalry reaching ahead when Olivia didn't inform Joan of their mum's death, to which Olivia replied she would have been too busy to attend the funeral anyway. And so began 40 years of silent treatment, until Joan's death in 2013. For 18 months, Lisa and Jess Arigliasso, the twin sisters behind the Veronicas, didn't speak to each other because of a relationship Jess was in. We weren't able to create, we weren't able to perform. I mean, we couldn't be together. So, yeah, we had to have things on hold. Then we have the so-called royal rift between Princes Harry and William. They were so close for so long. But in recent years, their relationship has strained. And ever since Harry decided to step back from royal duties and move abroad with his wife and family, they've had very little to do with each other. The pair have kept tight-lipped about most of the rumours. But as Prince Harry told ITV... As brothers, you know, you have good days, you have bad days. To help us unpack the complicated nature of sibling dynamics, we're joined by Elizabeth Shaw. She is the CEO of Relationships Australia New South Wales and has worked for over 25 years as a clinical and counselling psychologist. Elizabeth, we all know how it starts. A second child is born into a world that a first child has ruled for however long, and suddenly they have to do a thing called sharing. Can you take us inside those tiny minds for a second? How does a child typically respond to this life shift? A lot of it does depend on how the family greets the second child and how it's set up for success. And so the anticipation for a young child can be set around this is something to look forward to, this is something that's going to be you know, good for the family. All of those messages are really helpful. But of course, in a tiny mind, there also needs to be room for actually, maybe this isn't going to be all fantastic because little kids often experience you're going to have a brother or sister and this is going to be a friend for you, only to find that this is a very boring little thing that doesn't play, seems to sap a lot of attention from the family. And little kids also are really affirmed for being sweet to a baby. But I think we need to leave room that sometimes that child may not feel sweet towards the baby and that that's okay too. Is it ever a good thing? Can sibling rivalry teach us anything? Hugely it can because it is the first relationship where we learn to manage complex feelings that appear to be in contradiction. So you can actually be highly irritated by a sibling and love them dearly. You can find them, you know, very problematic, but think, but I'd never give up on them. Or if they ever needed me, I'd be the first one there. So you can actually juggle these really what look like opposite kind of feelings but how it's steered by parents and others around you and what the motivations for that rivalry are can make a big difference. Even kids who do argue, if you ask them about it, can say, oh, yeah, lots of kids argue. And you can hear that they travel quite lightly with it. 
that's quite different to feeling like your sibling's really out to undermine you, where there is maybe covert bullying, where you really do feel highly mistreated. How often do you see those more sinister styles of sibling rivalry or the more serious version of it? Well, certainly, look, I guess in my work, I have a skewed population that I do see people that are estranged from siblings who will say maybe the relationship was never strong and then there were further fallings out later in life. And in those situations, what I often find is that the situation wasn't really steered very well from the beginning. So if, for example, you have parents who have a divide and conquer style of parenting or where they're forced together and there's no room to have fairness and justice and equity around some of the things that do go wrong or where parents openly showed favouritism, some of those sorts of things sometimes set up siblings to have a poor relationship all along and then there might be some fallings out you know later where there's an open competitiveness so things like stealing each other's boyfriends or girlfriends or those sorts of things tend to happen when there's already kind of a nastiness in the dynamic how much of what you see as a psychologist has to do with this dynamic of sibling rivalry? Because I think there's this understanding in society that we're supposed to love our siblings no matter what, you know, blood is thicker than water kind of thing. But do you see a lot of it? Is it quite common? Look, I think in the ordinary way that we use the term of kids getting on more or less, and then as you get older, you can get on more or less. So you might get closer in your teen years, or if your parents go through a divorce, you might suddenly really bond together, or you might be close as little ones and then not so much. I think as long as you've got some good times to hang on to, and you have some joint family memories that bring you warmth and a sense of lovely nostalgia, where there were times where the whole family was functioning well, you've just got a lot more in the bank to manage things later. I also find, and maybe I'm projecting from my own family, but when I am back around my original family unit, I feel like I morph back into the teenage version of myself. (laughs) And I don't think I'm alone in that. You do kind of morph into that teenage version when you did live with your sibling. Oh, look, you totally do. And, you know, you're lucky you morph back into your teenage years. A lot of people feel they're back in primary school even, (laughs) you know. I think depending on the pivotal nature of those developmental times, I think that's why a lot of people find family events such as festivals or Christmas are quite stressful because suddenly the older sibling takes up role, the younger sibling takes up role, and we fall back into that. And you have to really consciously work past that. But there is also, on a good day, something lovely about that. You know, when you get to be the younger sibling and your older sibling's looking after you, if that was a nice experience, sometimes tapping back into that, you can feel a bit fond of and a bit benign about it. Is it also that siblings know what buttons to push? I mean, they've grown up alongside you. They've had similar environments. They know what hurts. (laughs) Look, absolutely. And in some ways, you know, anybody you spend time with, whether it's you know, long-term married couples can do the same. You just accumulate a lot of dirt on each other, you know. And that's, I think, really central because if the dirt that you have on each other is you know exactly what to use and what not to use, you know their vulnerabilities and what would really hurt them and you just don't go there because you really want the best for them. So those successful families will use teasing and the teasing really 
is benign. You're, you're teasing in areas where your sibling might blush a bit and giggle, but you certainly don't want them harmed. The ones where there is that sort of nastiness, it really is bringing out the big guns and weaponising family history about, remember that really humiliating thing, let's bring that up again in public. That's where you feel like your siblings aren't coming from a clean place. They're coming from a, actually, if I could cut you down a bit, I'd quite enjoy that. Over the decades, we've been told that whatever order you're born in determines or at least influences your personality. Google it and you'll find pages and pages of analysis with the stereotypes generally steering firstborns towards being high achievers, describing middle kids as the peacemakers and the youngest as the manipulators. But it's not that black and white. A more recent wave of research with more robust statistical methods suggests there's no credible link between birth order and personality, which I know, I know, if you've got a bossy older sister, you might disagree. There's no denying sibling relationships are important. They're oftentimes the longest relationships in a person's life, and they're incredibly unique. You grow up in the same environment, making the same memories, and then you all go your separate ways in life with the same foundation but a different story. Among adult siblings, studies show that roughly half speak to or see one another about once a month. Much of the other half communicate less frequently or not at all. Our culture idealises the idea of loving sibling relationships, but it's often a lot more complicated than that. For those who are struggling to see eye to eye with a sibling at the moment, Elizabeth shared this advice. I think, first of all, really look at the effect that it has on you and to realise that you actually have some options. So often we're very drawn to the problem of other people. So, you know, if only my big brother didn't do that or if only my sister got her act together. And the trouble is, as soon as we think that the other person has to change, we can feel more helpless and disempowered because we never get to be different until they change. Whereas if you work on, okay, my siblings tend to do this or that, and they always do this or that, every event they do this or that, how am I going to respond differently? What are the ways in which I could take the sting out of that? I could diffuse that. I could laugh it off. I could walk away. Or maybe I could say, oh, look, I know you always do that, but I'd really like a go this time. Or you could even say, look, you and I have always fought over this issue. Let's do it differently. You could show some leadership and sort of invite your siblings into a different role by travelling lightly with the material yourself. Whereas I think a lot of people who are really stuck in the past, they themselves feel under siege and can't get themselves out of the situation. And that focus on the other, you know, why did they always treat me like that? It just actually leaves you more helpless and disempowered to keep ruminating and revisiting. So occasionally actually speaking up about it in a positive way can also make everybody think, oh yeah, you know, we do always fight about this and can join you in the task of doing it differently. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Gemma Bath, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Tom Lyon. If you love the show, the best thing you can do is become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Mamma Mia subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. It only costs $5.75 a month, which is less than a large coffee, or a small coffee if you get oat milk.